have played five preseason games, and we have each binged five episodes of All or Nothing, uh, documenting Maple Leafs 2021 season and the subsequent heartbreak. Mm. Uh, so, Nick, first question to you. Are you ready to get hurt again? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's go time. I mean, we've got one uh, one game left, four and one for the Leafs through the preseason so far. Let, let's start with a little bit of preseason talk before we get into the all or nothing stuff. Because um, I, I, I don't know how deep you want to dive on these exhibition games, you know, how much either of you are gleaning from these. Admittedly, I've seen maybe two and a half of the five games so far. Uh, one thing that has stood out is the power play. The transition play, I feel like, is a lot better. You know, when they're actually coming through and gaining the zone, that was such a disaster last year. It seems like they've got a few modifications that that have been working. Some, you know, quick passes, approaching the blue line. And, like, you know how they've run this stupid trailer for years and you can see it coming a mile away and they've kind of modified that. Now they've got two trailers going sometimes and it's a little bit of a higher pace and... Um, everything seems not, to be a little bit of a higher pace. Yeah, and, and like you got the talent uh, to to get creative with this. So like that that was kind of the the frustrating thing last year is they just they weren't doing anything differently. So it's nice to see uh, some some different stuff. A lot more like uh, deflections around the net and moving tips and and that kind of stuff too. So um, just seems more like there's some interesting movement. In, yeah, just more off puck movement in general. Like. I liked Riley's quote about uh, he was asked about Mitch playing in the middle of the bumper spot on the power play. And and he said something to the effect of Mitch is just kind of, you know, figuring out how to take advantage of this, this role and move into empty space. And we think he'll be kind of moving around a lot. I, I think that's the perfect role for Mariner on the power play. Why would you stick him on the half wall all season long? When he like the only real play that they had on the man advantage last year was that seam pass from Matthew Samariner or the you know give it up to Riley and over to Mar- uh, Matthews for the one timer. There it was just so stagnant, and I think having a guy like Mitch kind of maybe a little more free to roam around the zone, it, it's a it's a good strategy, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it looks when Matthews is part of that group because the power play has been a lot better to watch through the preseason even without Matthews and even without you know always having the full top unit together so I I think that's going to be something to to monitor early in the season especially considering how uh, how much of a problem it was for them last year yeah like you said there's there's just so few kind of options for them on the power play they don't have that big booming shot from the point to kind of draw people that way so there was really only a couple of different things that they could really do and I think like you said, putting Mariner into the middle of the ice, I think that just opens up creativity. He's a guy that, you know, like he'll benefit from not having a set spot to kind of stand in the entire time. And and that's going to keep the defense a lot more kind of in check and and not being able to kind of read the play a lot more. And just even, even a five on five, just like the middle of the ice, like it seems to be the pucks going to the middle of the ice a lot more in in the little bit that I'm watching. There's not a lot of like, gain the zone and just do laps, you know, and, and I, I did appreciate last year, their ability to keep zone time and their ability to, to get on the cycle. 
because it's not necessarily something we've seen from the Leafs in the past to be able to forecheck and keep the puck down low and, and work it back to the point. But that's all that would but really happen. But you've got to do something with it. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful yeah. recovery zone en- or zone entry or, or recovery and, and two or three passes below the goal line and you shake the defender and you get it back to the point and then it, it's just kind of shot back into the corner. So like, it, there seems to be more, more of an effort to get the puck to the middle of the ice, which... Yeah, power play or five on five, it's a good thing. Yeah, that, that's a big part of what killed them in the playoffs, right? Like you have to make the defense uncomfortable when you actually are in the zone. Otherwise, what, what's what's the good of it? Just empty calories, yeah. Yeah, and one more thing on, on Mariner being moved a little bit like closer to the net for the power play. I wrote about Mariner a couple of days ago at the Leafs Nation, and I included his goal map from Instat Hockey from last year at – well, he didn't score a power play goal last year, so they were all even strength or with the net empty. Uh, he scored 17 goals at 5v5 last year, and almost all of them came from right in front of the net or in the high slot. So I think that there's a, a really good chance that Mitch is going to be more productive on the power play this season. Like You just think about his skill set. There's no one on the team that's better suited to be kind of like the pivot point with so much shooting talent surrounding him, right? Like yeah. Mitch has the hands and the vision and the, the quick pass ability to, to be able to find those targets when they're available uh, and he'll be closer to the net to, to score on his own. I think that it's, it's basically the perfect spot for yeah. Mariner to be and, with, with given the other options that they have, and, you know, you're throwing Neil Andrew out there now and, yeah, and there can be as many stories and comments about Mitch working on his shot. There's nothing on that shot, so oh, he, enough. There's enough. The, the, Mercy the, doesn't need to doesn't need to be shooting from anywhere other than directly in front of the net. With and like you said, with the guys that are on the ice with him too. I know. No, it, it never made sense to have him in that shooting spot. And yeah, it, it's it makes so much more sense for him to be able to kind of sneak into you know, just that area above the crease when, you know, he can find a pocket and, and otherwise, you know, he's available for, for deflections and, and yeah, I, I think it makes a lot more sense to have him where, where they have him now. Um, and I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to really find yeah. his groove there. So, so I think some patience is going to be required. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one of the other big storylines in camp has been the battle on the left side and uh, it's, been a free-for-all right like everyone seems to be stepping up Nick Ritchie has really gotten a run on the the top line and it it looks like he's going to start there after having a pretty good go with with Marner and and uh, you know two-goal game obviously Um, Michael Bunting Keith your boy he's got got himself a natural hat trick uh, and and has had a a pretty impressive preseason so I gotta um, say Bunting skates better than I thought he did he looks yeah. good out there, and, and that's actually something I wanted to, to mention too is kind of the – it seems like that final top six spots coming down between him and Mikheyev and like with Richie kind of looking like he's going to start on the first line. I don't think that it's – like I don't think it's still a conversation because Bunting has not played well, you know, because I think he was almost penciled into that spot going in. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's still not finalized and I don't think it's, it's obviously from, a, you know, his, his lack of performance. He's played very well in the preseason. I've been really impressed with Mikheyev. Like he looks awesome yeah, out there. Me too, man. It, it, he, it, this is exactly, and I think we said this on previous podcasts, this is not as much as I was all like, you know, 
drawn up lineups without him in it and, and ready to move on from him. And I think it was just from wanting an injection of new life in there. Dubas found a way to do that with Tasha Bunting and Richie and, 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 you know, without, because of the value contracts that he got for them, I didn't think he was going to be able to get that much talent for, you know, that, that little of a cap hit. So you would assume that a guy like McKay was going to have to go, but I'm glad he's not gone. Cause that would have been the ultimate sell low on a guy who's, you know, yeah. every single kind of bit of predictive analysis is going to tell us that he's going to regress to the mean shooting percentage wise. And not even like league average, even if he's below league average, he's going to generate, he generates enough chances and he's solid defensively. Like I can understand him winning that, that job. I, I think he's not a perfect player by any means, but he's going to be playing with, if he does play in that line, two guys that have exceptional finishing talent. So I, as much as I like bunting and, and, you know, I was kind of wanting them to sign him early on in the off season, I get the hesitancy to just hand him that role and, and why there's still a competition with, with McKayev. Yeah. And Keith alluded to it the other day too. Like they're probably going to use a number of different yeah. players in that spot over the course of the season. So I think we often get a little too hung up on opening like the night. opening night yeah, line. For sure. Yeah. So, so uh, right now it does kind of look like Mikheyev is going to be given a chance to stick in that spot or at least start there. Um, yeah, like you, Keith, I, I've really liked his play through the preseason. I think that it, we're seeing all of the, the same things that we saw out of him last year, but he, he's, scoring yeah, <laughs> like yeah, he's exactly. got a, a couple in the preseason now and, and really like when you think about his skill set and, and what he brings when he's out on the ice it, it, he's kind of a, a really nice fit alongside Tavares and Nylander as a guy who can you know, Tavares isn't the most fleet of foot anymore he's not really carrying the puck through the neutral zone himself that that's kind of left to Nylander so another option on that line to do that and the speed that Mikheyev has to get in on the forecheck and dislodge contested pucks and stuff. I I, I don't know. I, I still really like the player. I understand the frustration with his lack of finishing ability. But again, as you said, there's going to be some sort of regression to the mean coming. He, he's, he's not going to shoot 6% forever. Uh I'm interested to see what he can do with the opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of shuffling on that side, just where things are so cemented. It seems otherwise in the in the top six, and uh, it, it, Richie's going to be interesting to me because consistency's been an issue there. And, and um, yeah, we'll. we'll, we'll I worry see. about the foot speed there too a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's going to have his bursts, and then there's going to be real, real issues. Like people talk about consistency with Nylander, think that uh, Richie is is the real consistency yeah. concern. I think that's been a, the story of his career so far. Because as much talent, yeah. as much talent as there is in that line, that's not a blazingly fast line with Marner and Matthews. Like they're not. Yeah, they're not going to beat. I don't know. They're not. They're great skaters, but they're not burners, right? So it's they're not really guys that are beating D men out wide one on one. No, and no stuff they're like they're, that. they're winning with puck movement and spurts. They're not just pushing the puck ahead yeah. and skating 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and just kind of one more point since we're talking about Nylander and the left side, it should be noted that Nylander actually seems to prefer playing on the left side. It was a big story a couple of years ago. I remember Kristen Shilton was always getting flack in her Twitter replies for tweeting out the lineup with Nylander on the left side, but he was actually playing on the left side. It was something that he had gone and asked Sheldon Keefe about earlier in the season, you know, wanting to play on his off wing. So if none of the 
configurations that they're currently working with stick. You know, you could see a guy like Andre Kasha slide into the top six and have Nylander over on the left side. So uh, there's definitely a lot more options and a lot more enticing options in the forward group than they had last year. I'm not convinced that they're worse up front than they were last year. No, they're a better team on paper. You know, and and even with, even with the loss of Zach Hyman, you know, that's not an easy guy to replace by any fucking means. But I think like the sum of the parts on this roster should add up to more than the sum of the parts on last year's roster. I like that. There's a little bit more speed, a little bit more bite kind of throughout the lineup with Richie and bunting and Simmons down lower you know you're not just relying on Simmons on the fourth line like Hyman got a lot of talk as being this gritty physical four but he wasn't a big hitter or a guy that was going out and fighting anyone or anything like that I think you're, you're going to see a little bit more of that out of guys like Richie and bunting this year yeah yeah it was um no surprise based on the depth and the strength of, of the forwards on the roster when Nick Robertson was cut. Uh, and and I don't know if there's any other cuts you guys want to talk about, but it seems like Robertson is kind of the one that was talked about the most. And I don't think any of us expected him to, to push for a, a spot, at least right away. And especially... He you know, was once- the only one that there was any real like hope for, though, right? Like If yeah. anyone was going to knock someone out of a job, it was going to be Robertson. But it is by no means disappointing or an indictment on his development that he didn't make the cut this no, time it's, around. It's not. Kid, it's not. He just turned 20 surprising. years old a couple weeks ago. Yeah, like just uh, yeah it's not September. surprising either. Yeah. It's not he surprising, played, but like, it's a, 30 professional games. It's a little, it's, it's not surprising that he got sent down. It might be a little bit surprising that he was sent down as it wasn't like, it, it wasn't a question. Like there wasn't even like a kind of making a, making us think about it a little bit or making Keith think about it. I think that might be the only thing that you could perceive as disappointing is he didn't. Yeah. He wasn't pushing. For he the wasn't final knocking on the door spot right? or yeah, which is um, fine. Again, he's played 30 and the games. guys look at the names that he went with as well. Right. Like, and, like and you look at like SDA, SDA staying in camp past, past him and other yeah, guys but like that. That was that, you just know? a formality, right? Like those guys, like the other guys got sent down after the preseason game that night, like the SDAs yeah. and the guys that you're talking about. Right. So I think that was, more a formality than anything. Um, I think that while it might have been a little bit disappointing that Robertson was sent down as early as he was, I think that it, it could benefit him in the sense that he's just got a little bit more certainty early on about you know where he's going to be. He can really focus on getting ready to to put his best foot forward with the Marlies and be a leader on that team right from the get go. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll see him at some point during the season. Uh, I, I would presume in a full eighty-two game season, maybe the Leafs aren't going to have the injury luck that they did last year, and and we'll see, um, you know, what what kind of year he has with the Marlies, and and um, maybe we'll see him at some point, especially if if you know they, they do need some help in the top six uh, if injuries strike or whatever. Um, well, that's a one- good time to kind of transition into Josh Hosang, isn't it? Like. The, the Leafs have a lot of depth options up front, but they don't have a lot of depth options up front who are real offensive threats, right? And, and Robertson is perhaps the only one, or at least he was prior to Hosang earning himself an AHL deal. Yeah, I, I think that that kind of played out perfectly. Like that's kind of, I think, the best case scenario for everybody involved. Um, you know, he wasn't going to make the NHL roster 
like they just you know we already talked about it they went out and acquired a handful of preseason games isn't enough it's not and 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 also they signed four unrestricted free agent forwards this year that were ahead of them like you know barring barring one of them being an absolute disaster and him you know like it it just wasn't going to happen it it realistically wasn't wasn't in the cards so this is about as great as it look as it could be and uh, from a scenario standpoint and it looks like he, you know, is excited to be there. You know, it's he didn't go down there disappointed. He's, he said, like, I think uh, quotes were, the, you know, like he walked in, the huge smile on his face and shook everybody's he hand. He said he'd go to the ECHL. What we, yeah. we, I, I wish he had. He said he'd sharpen skates. Yeah, yeah. The growlers, but, I mean, that's just – that's it just shows to go – like, goes to show that – you know, he knows where he's at in his career and he knows what he needs to do to take the next step. And he seems to be fully willing to do it. So if you can get a, you know, a, a talent like that to to kind of buy into a system and play a, a way that fits into your team and, and to kind of do all the right things for that, like, that's a huge win. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we, we may never see the NHL. But from a process standpoint, that's the type of guys that you you want to just get into your system. Yeah, and one of the the things that has stood out to me through the early part of the camp and preseason was like Josh Hosang really, really, really wants to be a Leaf. Yeah, and I I don't think that you can kind of discount that part of it when you're t- talking about you know him having his career rebuilt and you know fighting through the adversity that he's faced early in his career. Like this guy seems beyond ready to take on this opportunity and do whatever he has to do at whatever level to get there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm excited with how that all played out. It, the Marlies needed a little more scoring punch themselves. So it, having a guy like him in the organization, not in any capacity, I, I think it's it's a win. And, and like I, as much as I don't really care for Dave Poulin that much, um, I heard him on TSN radio the other day and he did say something that you know, I, I fully agree with it. This is more about kind of Robertson, but it can kind of apply to Hosang too, which is just like you're going down to the AHL to dominate. Like that's what you're 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 there for. So like, you know, if if there's that concern in Robertson's mind that he's maybe getting the shaft a little bit, well then go down there and win player of the week three weeks, two weeks in a row, or you know, three weeks out of six or something. Like just go down there and score a pile of goals show the team that you're you're too good for that for that league and good things are going to happen like don't you know if we go down there if we go down there and and you get 11 points in in 25 games then you know it's like there just has to be some urgency i think again he's 20 years old but go down there and and prove that you're too good for that league and i fully think he's going to do that um i i hope anyways um obviously last year injuries kind of derailed our ability to see that but that's that should be coming, and, and just on a similar note, the Marlies are going to be really fucking fun to watch this year, so that's exciting. A lot more fun to watch than last year. Yeah. So, so kind of like to wrap up the, the camp discussion a little bit, like there's not really a whole lot of what we would typically consider like position battles or battles for roster spots, but I, I want to ask you guys, like, is there anyone who has maybe came in a little under the radar who has stood out to you guys? Well, I mean, under the I don't know about under the radar. I mean, I don't I don't think anybody expected to bunting bunting to score at the clip that he that excuse me that he was or is. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure that he's under the radar, but I've just really liked Sandine. Like, I think that would be from the games that I've watched and the player that I've been the most excited to watch. He just looks so smooth with the puck and his decision-making and he just looks, he looks he a little looks, faster. Too. He looks, I think he looks faster because of his decision-making like the games, the game's yep. not creeping up on him. Like it has in, yep. in the past. Like he's looked, he looks like he's a bona fide NHL player. Whereas there was points of his tenure last year where you kind of saw him hold on to the puck a little bit too long, not really yeah, make he that wasn't smart play. He wasn't seeing yeah. the ice the way he's seeing it right now, and that's super encouraging. Yeah. Probably Mikheyev for me. Yeah. Like, I, I think that, um, I, I mean, like we've said a little bit about the luck's got to turn, but also, you know, he, he's just, he's going to have some of that opportunity. I think he's a great, like, kind of change-up guy that you can move up and down the lineup and, uh, kind of the way you did with Hyman where you know you you put him on any line and he's going to make something happen with his legs and and you know getting in lanes and just creating with you know with his body and with with his feet even if he you know can't hit the fucking Atlantic Ocean with um, <laughs> but, but, but but he can putt yeah apparently um, <laughs> so I, I'm excited to see see what he'll do um the guy for me was Semyonov for sure. Like, I think he's shown really, really well through the preseason. And I think he's a guy that Sheldon Keefe is starting to fall in love with pretty quickly. Like, the guy doesn't make bad decisions out there. Like, he's always above the puck. He's got good speed, decent hands, really smart. Like, I, I really like him as a potential fourth line center. Um, only, only other thing I wanted to touch on before we get into some all or nothing chat. Um, the defensive battle just at the bottom of the lineup, you, you kind of already touched on Sandine a little bit, but, um, uh, you know, Dermot, Liljegren, I, I don't know if you have thoughts on, on either of them and, and kind of how things are playing out there with kind of the lack of that um, veteran defensive presence that they've had at the bottom of the lineup. It, it seems like these three guys are going to be going to be leaned on. And, and you know, we, we obviously have talked a lot about you know their roles, and I think we're excited to see what, what they can do. But um, any thoughts on on kind of how that is going to play out in terms of ice time, at least early in the season? Uh, we saw at practice earlier today. We're recording this on a, a Thursday. Um, their first practice at their little getaway up in Muskoka. The third pair was Sandine and Willigren. So that that's led to a, a lot of. You know, rapid speculation that Liljegren has kind of surpassed Dermot on the defensive depth chart. But I'd just like to go back and point to last training camp when it appeared as though Miko Lettinen was going to be the guy getting in on opening night over Travis Dermot, and that ultimately didn't happen. I think that, you know, they're still kind of getting a look at what they have. Sheldon Keefe, when asked about the lineup for the final preseason game on Saturday night, said that it was going to be kind of a mix of some guys that they're still trying to get a look at, but it will be close to their opening night lineup. I think Williogren kind of falls into that first category of guys that they're still trying to get a look at. I think he's definitely going to be used this year, but penciling him in for the opening night lineup over Travis Dermott at this point, or Sandine for that matter, I think is a little bit premature. Um, and they're really limited by what they can do salary cap wise in terms of like what players they're going to carry. They can only really carry one extra player as things stand now. So, it, you know, you would think that when they go on the road, that's going to be a defenseman. But they have the 
the benefit of being able to send Timothy Lilligren down without putting him on waivers. They don't have that luxury up front with guys like Adam Brooks or Pierre Engvall, who are also on the bubble right now. So, yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. I still think it's going to be Sandine and Dermott. But I've kind of said this for a little while now. I think that Lilligren is kind of going to platoon with maybe both of them. Um, you know, Dermott has the ability to play on either side. So, you know, he could shift over to the left to get Lilligren in for Sandine, or he can stay on the right side when Sandine's in the lineup. I, I think that they're all going to be relied upon on the third pair at various points this season. And, you know, if an injury occurs, one of them is going to have to step up into a bigger role. Well, I, I think back to kind of what you said earlier about getting a little hung up on opening night kind of configurations, there's going to be injuries. So these, like he's going to play, like if you get 30 games this year where your all your top six D are healthy, that's probably pretty good. Like there's going to be nights where one or two of your, your, your top six are missing. So I'm not concerned about like Lilligan getting ice time or getting, or getting into games. Like I think he's going to play quite a bit this year. I, I don't, what I don't know, or maybe not what I don't know, but what I'm kind of curious about is if Sandine keeps playing the way he's playing, I don't think he's in any kind of platoon situation or rotation situation with him. I think he's knocking on the door to get into the top four. So I'd be curious to see, like, I don't think that they could run four left-handed defensemen in the top four, but I, you know, if, if Sandine has any kind of affinity for playing the right side, I, I'd be worried if I was, you know, he, he's played the right a little bit in the minors. Yeah. Like I'd be more concerned about him taking Justin Hall spot than, than being like a, a healthy scratch to get Lilligren in. But again, obviously you ne- you never know. Yeah. Like just thinking this is going to be, you know, Sandine's first full run yep. in, in an 82 game schedule. I just don't see him playing all 82 games healthy or not. But hey, like like you said, if he keeps playing the way that he has been so far, yep, it's going to be hard to take him out of the lineup. Especially if he's still kind of, you know, we saw some some kind of some nastiness out of him last year too. Like if he continues to be yeah. physical and has those puck skills, like it's going to be very hard to take a guy like that out of your lineup. It, you know, it's about but you know, first full season, it's it's about limiting mistakes. So if he could, if he does that, I think that that that's kind of the biggest key to it. But yeah, no, I mean, I think you know, incumbency here matters. I think Dermot's going to be the guy to start um, on the third pair with Sandine and Lilligren will get in. Um, you know, it won't just be via injury. There's going to be nights where Sandine or sorry, nights where, where Dermot's, you know, healthy scratch. We saw that last year. I don't think he's a guy that's fully won the trust of, of Sheldon Keefe. I think Keefe likes him, but I think there's must be elements of his game that, uh, that maybe are, are not, sitting certain moves of a spinning nature yeah maybe it's but but you said it on twitter the 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 things that make travis dermot travis dermot are the things that are he's going to fuck up like yes a zach bogosian would have banged that off the boards but that would have just went right back down to the other defenseman and they would have just you know they would have broke back into the zone and dermot's trying to make that extra play to create offense and and you appreciate that and you, if you if you appreciate that, you have to be able to appreciate the the, the fuck ups too. And it, you know, ultimately, that one ended up being a lot more crushing than most. But those yeah, things are going to happen with defensemen like that. They, they just are. Yeah, and I don't want to defend that play because it was an obvious 
glaring fuck up on Dermot's part. But the, the point that I was making was like 98 or 99 times out of 100 that he attempts that move, he completes it, no problem, and the puck is moving up the ice and no one bats an eye. But when it turns out that way in that moment, that's the kind of thing that, that lives in people's memories. And, you know, that that's that's probably going to be something that kind of follows Dermot around, like at least Until, in Leafs Twitter circles and things like that. Yeah, and, and I think it, it, then it ultimately becomes like that's that's okay to have that tool in your tool belt, but it's situationally knowing what's going on, yeah. right? Maybe yeah, maybe don't do like, that in overtime in a playoff game. Uh, but even that scoring chance was such a nothing scoring chance that like – most of the goal. time, that yeah, yeah, that doesn't well, end up I in mean, the net, and we. It's look like we, we've we've talked about you know comparing Dermot to TJ Brody. How about comparing him to Jake Gardner a little bit? Like like yeah, that, that's both. what happened to Gardner. Yeah. He was always a solid defenseman who moved the puck up well, but he had the glaring fuck ups, and that's what people remember ultimately because he's yep. on some of the all time <laughs> highlight reel meltdowns uh, in Leafs history. Yep. Yeah, that's to- that's totally fair. Um. So let's talk about the Amazon Prime series, All or Nothing, um, which debuted last week, um, which obviously, you know, pretty much ended with with that moment, more or less. It was all downhill from there. And, and, um, you know, the the series was very hit and miss for me. There were a lot of elements of the production that ranged from uh, didn't love it to drove me nuts. Uh, and I, I'll get into some of those a little later, but but there was a lot of good access stuff, obviously, that came from it, and especially in a year where we had less access than ever as fans, it was nice to fill in some of those blanks, right? And, and I will say that um, you know while we had our frustrations with his play, um, I, I came away from this feeling that you know the Leafs kind of need to hope that each member of this team can find a little bit of their inner Joe Thornton because I, I thought that his influence was all over that um, that documentary and I, I think that um, he was a calming influence and Nick I know you have a, a, a you know a different take on this than I do but um, you know I, I feel like in a full season and especially with the pressure continuing to mount um, I, I wonder how, how the Leafs are going to be able to kind of um, you know deal with the pressure with without someone who's you know kind of that constant um, I don't know what you want to call them ray of sunshine or or just kind <laughs> of uh, uh, you know a, a light um, guy who lightens the mood, kind of lets the air out of the room, whatever you know idiom you want to use. Um, I, I feel like the Leafs need to, need to find that in themselves a little bit um, this season. Yeah, and I want to start off by saying, like, obviously this documentary series did not capture or you know show us every single moment of the entire season or every single interaction or anything like that. And I think that, you know, your point is a good one. Joe Thornton absolutely did a good job of helping to take the pressure off of these guys at various points throughout the season. He helped keep things light. But the, the way that he was portrayed in the All or Nothing series, I I, I don't know. I, I seemed like he maybe was a little bit too far on that side of the line sometimes, like maybe a little bit too aloof. You know, you saw that scene earlier on in the series where Keith kind of goes up to Jason Spezza in practice and sort of relies on him as kind of a a go-between between him and the 
the players and just kind of using him as a conduit to kind of get his message to the players or get a, a better feel for the mood of the room at the time. It, it seemed like, to me at least, like Thornton was more on the other side of that where he was kind of helping to foster that discontent a little bit amongst the team early in the season when they, they were maybe growing a little frustrated with Keefe's messaging early on, as we saw in the show. It, I don't know. It just... I look at Joe Thornton a little bit differently now than I did before the, the series came out. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, not to get like too hot takey or anything, but like, I mean, he's kind of had a reputation of of being a guy that doesn't have like a killer instinct, right? So, I mean, I'm not yeah not overly surprised that that's a take that you'd walk away with. Like, I I I get where where you're coming from from that. Like, I I think it was there was points in the dressing room maybe where, you know, if where Keith's trying to get that kind of point across that like, yes, we're winning, but you know, we, we shouldn't have to be winning by one goal every night. Like we need, we need games where we're just, it's just, it's just fucking over or whatever. It, that's kind of, I mean, if you're bringing a guy in for like veteran presence and in, in, in that kind of, that maybe would be a point where you'd want a guy like that to step up a little bit. And like you said, he very well could have, we just, we we're seeing snapshots, right? Like we're not, yeah, we're not seeing yeah. everything, but you definitely didn't see that that side of Joe Thornton. I, I didn't where it's see like, what I wanted to see out of Joe Thornton. Yeah, least, I think I wanted way. to see him, you know, to be that guy, but then to also be like, playtime's fucking over, like, let's go. Yeah. And, and you yeah, didn't and there, see there that. There was none of those scenes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah that's, I, I was a little surprised by the lack of that. I, I think that that is a good point for sure. Um, as far as overall thoughts, though, Nick, you, you touched on, you know, the, the Keefe and Spezza meeting. Like, Keefe was really the star of this, wasn't he? Like, I, I feel like that was yeah. almost everyone's takeaway, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, more than anyone else that was involved in the whole thing, like we probably learned more about Sheldon Keefe than anyone else. Um, I, I said as much on Twitter, but like my biggest takeaway from the entire series was that Sheldon Keefe really had his finger on the pulse of this team and what ailed them right from the beginning. Like he saw what would ultimately be their downfall right from the beginning of the season when they were still racking up wins and kind of walking over the division a bit. And, you know, that just kind of reinforced my belief in him. I know the counter to that will be, well, he wasn't able to fix it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to me, I think that when you talk about experience and learning from your losses and things like that, I think if nothing else, Keefe's message or authority will be kind of reinforced by the players seeing that he was right all season long, even when they were kind of tired of hearing what he had to say, he was proven right in the end. And I think that's going to carry some weight with the, with the group moving forward. And just while we're on Keith, I, yeah, I think I walked away from this being like, well, I guess he's, he's not quite the player's coach that he was maybe made out to be. And maybe when you're comparing him to Babcock, you know, I think it was a lot of the same shit that Babcock was saying, but like, Babcock was saying it and just, you know, shouting it into the void, not doing anything about it. You still saw shitty systems and the, the fucking stretch pass and everything else that wasn't working. Whereas, like, Keith, watching them play last year was a marked improvement on yeah. just about every facet of the game except for maybe the power play. But even though the power play started out hot. So, like, that I will give him full credit for is, like, you know, he he 
he definitely came down on guys, but he was at least making changes and he was at least instituting a system that worked. The one thing that I that rubbed me maybe a little bit wrong about Keith, and I and I'm even of two thoughts, like two minds of this, even as I say it, because I can understand both sides of this. I did I don't know how I feel about how many times he referred to what the like media in general opinion of the team was going to be. There was at least three occasions where he said, like, well, first of all, the, the Matthews thing. Oh, that's going to be a, that's going to be a terrible fucking narrative now because of what he said. And then the other thing was, if we win a hundred, if we would get a hundred points in 50 games, no one's going to give a shit if we don't win. And then the other thing was, you know, the whole speech about this is what everybody's going to remember. Like, I understand that because it's like players are human beings and they're not robots and that stuff does matter what they hear on sports center in the morning. And but on the other side, who fucking like, why are you, who cares? Just worry about what's well, going on in the room. Uh, yeah. Well, kind of to your point about the room, I think when he was talking, when he barges into Dubas's office after that, you know, that game against Edmonton where he wasn't happy with what Matthews had to say it, to the media afterwards, when he was referring to the narrative in that case, I took it as him referring to the narrative amongst the group in the room. I, I think that he was worried that the rest of the team felt that way as well, yeah. not so much the outside. And, and I liked the way that he handled that as well. Like it was, it was very much, uh, you know, teacher scolding the the class clown kind of vibe. But like the way that he addressed it with Austin right away like and very uh very sure of himself <laughs> to go up to matthews and basically say hey did you see those clips i sent you yeah do you still want to argue about any of them yeah okay good and then afterwards bring it up to the rest of the team in a meeting you know i already talked to austin does anyone else have a fucking problem <laughs> yeah. basically how that went and yeah. i kind of like the way that he handled that but i do get what you're saying about you know, kind of maybe worrying a little bit too much about outside perception. Yeah, but like, I think that kind of comes with the territory. It does, and I just felt like there was a, an overall vibe of like, hey, everybody in the world knows that you guys haven't won anything. Do you want to prove them wrong or not? And I just, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. But I also don't know if it's the wrong way to go about it I because that could motivate. I just people. don't. Yeah, and I don't think that it's something that can even be avoided if they want to, right? Yep. Like that—that's something that's ever present, and I—I I don't really mind Keith sort of leaning. It's into a bit that of a reality a check. Like, hey, this is the way it is. What are you guys going to do about it? I, I get that. It's just I—I I don't know. I just—I guess in my head, you just hear that so much in the in like you know the wit when players and coaches talk like oh we don't listen to the outside noise we don't you know it, yeah, that's it's bullshit it, of course you do right so it was just it was maybe just a peek behind the curtain to be like wow that is very much a present thought you know in the locker room yeah and he he might have also been sort of trying to foster some kind of like underdog mentality yeah, like, for a team like that was walking board. over the opponents all season long yeah 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 bulletin board material yeah um yeah, I, I was impressed with with the coach. I'll, I'll I'll talk more about some of my Keith thoughts in our next uh, segment here in a moment. Uh, but just before we move on, just any other overall thoughts from from the doc uh, from you, Keith? Um, to, to add to those, I mean, one thing I texted Nick because I, I I think we were the first ones to watch it, so we weren't spoiling it in the group chat. But I was like, <laughs> it, I think we all knew that TJ Brody was kind of an odd character. But he was invisible. Like, like he clearly said something to Amazon. Like, don't. Oh, yeah. I'm not in this documentary. I think I saw his face twice, 
And even the Will Arnett. One was like, it was, it was just scrolling the by. The, yeah, it was like yeah. in, one of the, in one of the meetings, it was like focused on somebody else and his face just kind of came into focus for a second. But it was like, even when it's they like, talked oh, yeah, about Brody's here. I honestly forgot about it at first. And then I was like, oh yeah. Like, cause like, I think at the beginning they're like, you know, and, Sh- and Kyle Dubas addressed the need for a veteran presence in the locker room with Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton and Zach Bogosian. Like, he didn't mention TJ Brody, who's very much a veteran, who was our absolutely the most impactful free agent signing last year. So it's like, that was just odd. But I think we've all seen people, like, whether it was articles or just, like, offhand comments. Like, I think it was Mark Giordano who said in an interview that, he's like a big conspiracy theory guy. He's just, he's, yeah. he's an absolute weirdo by the sounds of things, which I don't care as long as he's not like a fucking yeah. racist or a homophobic or something. But like, yeah, he seems to just be an odd duck and clearly was not cool with it. He seems like a guy who really likes to keep to himself yeah. a lot. I mean, like I, I think back to that article, I think it was in the athletic shortly after he signed with the Leafs, just kind of, talking about his roots and the kind of person he is. He's not someone that really enjoys the spotlight. That's why I think it was kind of surprising that he was so ready to come to Toronto in the first place. Mm-hmm. But, but it, yeah, it, it was a little strange that, you know, one of the most prominent storylines from last season's team was like the addition of TJ Brody and what he meant for their overall defensive play and to not have a minute at all. There should have been a 15 minute segment on the calming influence that he had on the defensive core. Cause he did. <laughs> and that was a huge yeah, fucking yeah. story. Yeah. I, I, it, it definitely seems like a situation where he probably like said no politely declined or something yeah. like that. I, I think you're right about that. I, I do think maybe there's a, an element of, he came from another Canadian market. He spent, you know, his career in Calgary and, and um, you know, you look at like all the airtime guys like Jimmy VC and Zach Bogosian got coming from, you know, playing in American markets and having a little more prominence for that, that audience. I wonder if that's a little bit part of it, but no, I, I think that more than likely there's a 20 minute thing of, of TJ Brody on the cutting room floor where he yep. goes into his JFK conspiracies <laughs> and hey, they just said, we can't use any of this. This guy's a fucking weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> just to clarify, we're not trying to paint TJ Brody I'm, in a negative light here. We love a good conspiracy. Theory. Um, I just wanted to talk about some standout moments, Keith. Um, I, I know that one one moment that um, you know we, we talked a little bit about McKayev earlier, and we talked on I think the last podcast about his uh, trade request, and, and you kind of see the precursor to that a little bit in in the all or nothing doc. Yeah, to me that was probably the most interesting thing in the doc to me for a couple of reasons. One being that we we knew watching it, oh, like yeah, he requested a trade. This all kind of makes sense now. And the other thing is, like, to me, that was probably the most behind the scenes, peek behind the curtain of anything in the series. I think everything else was not vanilla, because I think there were some pretty cool moments, but to have a guy come in and, like, be like, I'm going to the GM to complain about my ice time right now, I'm surprised that made it in there. And, and I, I know it's something that happens all the time, but that just seemed like something that, that I was like, wow, this is actually, like, some all access shit here. And, and I, so like that was interesting to me. And then just the way that Dubas handled it obviously was amazing. Like he was like, Hey, you are an important player on a first place team. Like you should 
you know, I know you want more and, and every, you know, and that's great. And I'm glad you do, but like, don't think that you're not contributing, even if you're not on the score sheet, he said all the right things. And then, and then the like, you know, good cop, bad cop thing where the next, I don't know if it was the next game or whatever, they portrayed it like that. It could have been a month later, but you know, in the middle of the game, you know, Keith comes firing into the video room. He's like, get up the fucking shifts about like get McKayev shifts up and then pulls him in. And he's like, that's why you're not scoring. And that's why you're, you know, why your line mates are contributing more and all this stuff. So it's just like, yeah, like that's, that's any, that's the NHL. Like that's a way that this, like, it was just really cool to see that kind of in place. Like you got one guy telling him like, Hey, you're all right, kid. And then the other guy going, you know, no, you gotta, you gotta bust ass and you gotta do this, this, and this. Like, that was a that was to me, you know, something you're not going to get on the blueprint. Yeah, which I felt like most of the other shit you would. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of a cool little peek just into how much actually goes on in the intermissions when the rest of us are getting up to yeah. go to the bathroom or grab another beer out of the fridge or whatever. Yeah, like Sheldon Keefe is walking off the bench, marching into the video room, immediately watching video that the rest of the staff has already kind of like pulled up and yeah. and pinned for him. And, you know, working off of that immediately, like it's the job of an NHL head coach is so, so fucking hard. Like, I don't think that a lot of these guys get enough credit for all of the things that they have to be managing at once. Like you're managing people, you're managing a group of men while also trying to get the best out of them on the ice. I think when we were watching it and it might have even been around that point in the series i was watching it with my girlfriend and i said like something like you know this isn't the same as when it's a 35 year old dad coaching his 10 year olds peewee team or something like this is another or this is a grown man having very difficult interactions with other grown men that like it, it, there's a lot to it, man. And, and like some of those conversations, like the one with VC and even the ones with Matthews and Spezza that we already talked about, like those aren't easy things to do. And you've, you've got to be wired a certain way to be able to handle that stuff. And I was really impressed with the way Keith handled pretty much every interaction that was shown. Yeah, no, I, I thought that that was uh, definitely an interesting look. And Nick, another thing that you, um, kind of thought was another interesting kind of peek behind the curtain was the the Felino um you know everything that came together with the the Felino deal and, and you know the, the it was another kind of good inside look i suppose um in the doc yeah well kind of the whole series kind of led up to maybe helping us understand why they made the decision to target Felino rather than you know say a Taylor Hall that that was the big debate on Leafs Twitter last year you know I don't think anyone would argue that Nick Felino is, you know, more purely talented than Taylor Hall is. And then I think that was, you know, the argument that a lot of people were making, go out and get the best player. Don't worry about, you know, grit or physicality or what have you. But I think what the series taught us was that, you know, I'll go back to it. Keefe identified their issues early on. The fact that they weren't able to close out games, the fact that they weren't really scoring any dirty goals right so playoff goals yeah playoff style goals and i don't care what anyone says like playoff hockey is different we we saw that and if anyone wants to argue it i don't know what they've been watching targeting a player like felino over a player like hall is 
clearly lines up with what they thought their needs were throughout the whole season. You know, Felino's a guy that gets to the middle of the ice. He's a guy that he's going to do a lot of his damage from, you know, closer to the net, in tight, around the slot, creating space for his teammates and stuff like that. They they didn't feel that they needed another rush threat who's going to fly down the wing, you know, the way Willie Nylander does or whatever. They needed something else. And that's why I enjoyed kind of getting that entire peek behind the whole story because it wasn't just something that you know that they came up with a, a week or two ahead of the deadline that this was the kind of player they needed they had they knew all season long what they were missing or what they perceived to be missing and yeah Felino was definitely the guy that would address those needs more than anything but what was really interesting was like seeing the the trade call there wasn't a whole ton of like celebration uh, amongst the the management group when Dubas walked back in after completing the trade call with uh, Yarmo Kekalainen from Columbus. It, it, it was more of like a, I don't know, they, they're sort of holding their breath about the whole thing because I, I think that they knew that they paid a big price and that if it didn't work out, it was going to look bad. Yeah. And lo and behold, as all things do with the Leafs, it ended up looking pretty fucking bad. But I, I, you know, I go back to the whole trust the process thing, and I, I think that they were correct in their analysis of what they needed. You know, maybe they paid a little bit too much, and it obviously didn't work out. But you know, I, I was just kind of more more confident in their ability to identify what it is that they need. And you can go, you can be revisionist about this, and you can say, oh, you know, why did they lose against the Canadians? Well. They got, you know, Matthews and Marner got shut down and, and, you know, there was really only one other threat, which was Nylander. Okay, so secondary scoring was lacking. So you could have used a guy like Taylor Hall to, to potentially pick up the slack a little bit. But like you said, how, how are they going to know going, you know, in, at the trade deadline that A, Matthews, who is scoring goals at a ridiculous pace, is going to score one goal. And Mariner's going to have four assists and pretty much, you know, be a non-factor in the two biggest, the most important games of the series. And Tavares is going to get injured. So there's like, yeah, look, and never mind Felino's injury too. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so like, and it's not like Felino can't generate offense. So yeah, I mean, looking at it under that lens, being like, oh well, they couldn't score. They should have gotten Hall. Like that's that's it's disingenuous to do it that way because there's no way that it was reasonable to expect that offense to dry up the way it is the way it did and for Tavares to go down and to remove you know arguably your third or fourth most important offensive player so I I fully understand that Felino was was the the right maybe I don't know if right's the right word but like the the thought process was there to acquire a player like that over Taylor Hall I think they thought they had enough Taylor Halls and they yeah. didn't have a, a Nick Foligno, and, and I I get that, and I fully expect them to acquire somebody to deadline of, of the same mold this year. Um, just to to wrap up on the kind of standout moments from the doc, um, I I thought that obviously like for me the the key f- uh, game six he- heading into oh, over, yeah. like the OT intermission heading into heading into overtime there. Mm-hmm. Um, that speech, a great speech. I mean, it was clearly and it that was. Worked. 
It did. It, it really did. did. I mean, shots on like yeah. twelve one or something. It, it was a really interesting. Like I talk, we talk about you know having the access and being able to kind of backfill some of those moments. And you look at how they came out in that overtime, and it's like, yeah, they they were they were flying, and no wonder. Like he, he, it was a great speech, and man, what a what a downer to to go down that way. But um, yeah, yeah, I think he, like, he was the star. Yeah, I think going back like. The other thing that it really drove home for me was that th- this was on the players. Like, I, I've, I don't know what more Sheldon Keefe could have done. Like you said, that speech was magnificent. It got the guys going. They came out on fire in that overtime. They should have won that game. And, yeah, it that that was definitely one of the the best moments of the series. I thought. Yeah, yeah. His speech. I mean, him telling Steve Briere to fuck off when he's being an apologist <laughs> Man, for Freddie when he couldn't stop a beach amazing. ball. That was everybody <laughs> that on was Twitter great. last year. That was, was definitely a snapshot of Leafs Twitter last year. That it was, was every episode we recorded last year. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, this, this isn't like a new feeling. Like, I, I've been expressing this all through the offseason, but, like, it, it just kind of reinforced this sense that, like, I really hope whatever happens this coming season does not lead to Dubis and Keefe being jettisoned yeah. from this organization. Like, I, I just I feel more than ever that that would be a big mistake. If anything, um, they're the biggest reason that I want the team to like break through with some kind of success this year. Because I, I think you know if it goes the other way and they do move on from Keefe and or Dubis, I think it's a decision that the organization would come to regret. There's no more. There's nobody in professional sports I want to be vindicated more than than Kyle Dubis. Hi, Leo. <laughs> speaking of that leo leo sent leo sent me a document of his point form takeaways from the, the series so we can, oh, good. We can you're gonna have to forward that to yeah. me, please. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> uh, since we're talking about speeches just before we move on um you know after that you kind of get to the, the game seven one when, when they're in the second intermission and they're down and it, it, who are the two guys that stepped up in, in that intermission going into the third period of game seven the two guys that it showed speaking up were fucking morgan riley and jason spezza yeah and what jason spezza had to say like that stuck with me the whole we've got 20 minutes to do something about this and after those 20 minutes are up we can't do fucking anything about it so let's go and like sitting next to that guy in that situation how much do you think that those guys wanted to get it done for him? Yeah, if you can't get if you can't get up for for it to play for for Jason Spezza, then you shouldn't be in the league. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that we have Spezza. That's a, another takeaway from the series was just how much he actually means to the team and just his importance on the roster. Yeah, there was two players that I think are universally loved in Jason Spezza and Jack Campbell, and that it was just further reinforced because they both just look like absolute gems of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And and like Campbell, I wanted to touch on because, you know, I know like we love him, the collective, we as Leafs fans, but like, I'll admit like as much hope as I've had from on the ice and like, he seems like a great dude and everything like the whole American sniper fandom slash punisher helmet slash transphobe QAnon goalie coach slash whatever else. I've had my concerns at times about Jack Campbell. You know, I'm not big on having like expectations for players to align with my views or anything like that. But uh, like I've, I've just been a little more hesitant 
yeah. to, to buy in on the Jack Campbell sweet baby boy thing, right? But 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 man, he he is a golden retriever, isn't he? Like, yeah, I mean, I think it must have re- been it must have been a full time <laughs> job for this guy's parents to keep him out of windowless vans as a kid. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, he, well, much like a golden retriever, they probably had a leash on him everywhere they went. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like yeah, he he is just a puppy dog, but um, yeah, yeah. You, I think you can brush him. the. Sorry, I think you can brush some of that other stuff off the emu and the the goalie mask from a few years back. Like, as that's just what being I mean. Ca- he's just kind of he's, like he's open. He'd be buddies with anyone. Like yeah. he'd be best yeah. buddies with anyone who walked in the door. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, although I will say, like him staying in with that injury against the Flames, that was fucking stupid. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, that's the part of hockey yeah. where I'm just like, come on, man. Like I get it. You want to fucking gut it out for the boys, but like you're 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 hurting the team and you're hurting yourself more and it's so dumb and it's a part of the culture i just don't understand it's admirable and it's admirable frustrating at at the same time do you do you find though like this i don't even like to say this but like with with campbell and just how hard he is on himself like do you worry about his mental makeup for a position as nerve-wracking as goaltender in the nhl like he seemed to get a handle on it (laughs) by the end of the year yeah but those types of but things. he was also playing really well right right so like you wonder if he's going to be able to keep the handle on it if he runs into another cold stretch like even the, the opening goal in game seven like wasn't good yeah he, well he said in, in his kind of post the worst goal, worst of, his goal of his career came you know like that kind of stuff where i'm just like oh if he goes on a three-game losing streak you know I worry it, it, for it's him. a tough line yeah. because you want guys that give a shit. Oh, of course, obviously. Yeah. Whereas, like, but it, it, you watched Freddie, and and I, I kind of, I, I, we didn't really talk about him in this yet. Like, I, I definitely felt bad for him for large parts. He looks of broken. This. He, he looked. That was one of Leo's the points. whole series. That was one he of Leo's points. Broken as a person. Like the soul left his eyes a long time ago. Yep. Like, I felt bad for him. I think he knew he was injured. He obviously knew he was playing like shit, and I think he knew it was the end of the road with his buddies, and like he just looked like a a lost soul out there and i felt bad for him and then all obviously like you know with jack campbell becoming you know canada's sweetheart in the midst of all that and completely taking your job like that's that can't feel good um but what i did like about it was like you know he was the first guy in the locker room during you know congratulating him and had the puck for him when he won or when he when he when he won the record or took the record or whatever so like you know obviously a good teammate and all that stuff but just I, i felt bad for him for a lot of the documentary and and i think yeah but on the flip side like his kind of like icy demeanor i think is what you expect out of a goaltender where it's just like you don't dwell on what happened and you're on to the next one and whereas like i feel like campbell would like sit up at night and be you know beaten up over what what he what he did and i don't know it's just that that's that's one of the thoughts i had was just like maybe i'm a little i'm a little more um I was never against the the, the Mrazic signing, but like just that little bit more assurance, I guess, is is probably a good thing because you know as much as we love Campbell, he's yet to do it over an eighty two game season as the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, they got to get Campbell like get, get them Flurry's guy. Like you remember what Flurry was like back like yeah. a decade ago. Like you remember that series <laughs> yeah. against the Flyers. Like he 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 just he, he was such a similar kind of makeup where he was a guy who was so like happy go lucky, but would get so down on himself. Yeah. 
um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic. So while we're talking about goalies, like the Leafs were really kind of robbing us of an all-time hockey trope, right? Like, obviously, there was a lot of focus on the goalies, like you said, like a lot of focus on Campbell. Freddie was kind of always mentioned, but like you said, like it, it was fitting, right? Because it, it was very much like the mystery that surrounded Fred all season was also kind of present there. Like even if you, you weren't seeing him, they were talking about him. He was kind of lingering, but the, there was kind of as much like unknown about it with yeah, they didn't even the know staff. Either. Yeah. As, as there yeah. was with us. Right. But we, we it, thought that was kind of bullshit. Like, you know, online last year everyone's like oh just tell us what's going on with him like come on but yeah like, they, they actually really didn't, didn't know. know two days before the deadline dubas had didn't know how much cap space he was gonna have to work with because he didn't know what was going on with freddie he's like i do i have yeah, to do yeah, i have yeah. to get another goaltender like he was he was visibly pissed off about that situation yeah and that scene where keith walks in and he's like is, is freddie already off the ice yeah exactly like, yeah. Yeah. yeah did he have it, gear it was, on <laughs> it was very mysterious type of stuff but but you know you have you have campbell who's again like all sunshine and rainbows you have fred who's your strong silent type and like so many of the guys in the room generally just seem so well adjusted and relaxed and whatever um not many like wild characters but for a few brief moments we got to fully immerse ourselves in the glory of a type of personality that really kind of made this type of series, right? Like the, when, when 24 seven was such a hit a decade ago, and it was in part because of the crazy goalie. David, David Riddick. <laughs> and David Riddick with his Alvin and the Chipmunks reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was – Dubas is like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> and I, I, I so quickly went from being like, oh, that's nice of Dubas to, you know, ask about his dog. <laughs> to like, Dubas is like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And the best line, I think the line that should live forever from this series, shoot two pucks uh, yeah. at my head. <laughs> Steve Rear's like what? It was just like holy fuck! Oh man, that was some just some great levity. Did, did for you those guys moments. not know about that? Did, had you never heard like the, the two pucks in the head so. thing? Never. Oh yeah, that, no. I remember hearing about that when when he was uh, acquired last year. No, yeah, man. I never. Goalies heard that. are weird, but but you you are right in the sense, Cam, that like you that that locker room contained like the three personalities of a of a goaltender. Like you had the hard yeah. under sleeve Mark Andre Fleury. You had the like icy cold Freddie Anderson, Carey Price kind of thing, and then you had the fucking lunatic from a different planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just uh <laughs> oh man yeah unbelievable stuff um, how frustrated do you guys think dubis was to trade away a third round pick for david riddick only for to come back Freddy like a week to later become healthy. <laughs> yeah yeah that would have sucked because because again but that- I, I also don't blame dubis one bit it's like he was saying you know in the lead up to that he's like i i can't go into the playoffs with one healthy goaltender out of the one out of all his deadline moves not that there were like a crazy amount, but of the deadline moves, I think that was the one that was like universally like, yep, good, good, good move. Smart. Needed yeah. needed to do that. Yeah. Check that box off. Yeah. Kind of don't thing. care what it costs. Yep, get just us get a it, just goalie. have a goalie. Yeah. 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 You can't argue with the process of that, but based off of how pissed off he was that he didn't know what was going on with his injury to the fact that, and even in the, even in the negotiations, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but for, to get Felino, he said, he's like, 
I can't trade you this year. I can't trade you the third because it's tied up in something. He's like, how about next year's yep. third? And then they're like, and it came like that. That was part of the conversation. So like he couldn't, he didn't even have the ammo that was looking like what was going to be needed to get Felino because of it was tied up in the, in the goaltender stuff. And then yeah, for him to be healthy immediately after he made the deal that, yeah, I feel like this is going to a year that Dubas maybe didn't want documented forever on, uh, on the internet. Like uh, I feel like that was a, a, a tough year on, on our boy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I've got lots more thoughts. So let's let's uh, jump into a Patreon episode here in a minute and let's continue the, the all or nothing discussion. And you can subscribe to that at uh, patreon.com slash lamenting the Leafs um, going to be creating some more content yeah. <laughs> yeah, for that for uh, for the as the season kind of gets gets going here. Um uh, we 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 had a big episode our last uh, time out the two first names draft and uh, I, I guess a br- big grudge and congratulations to That's Nick right. who won. Uh, the, oh, the I fan didn't vote. even take my victory lap. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. you didn't. You did thank on Twitter, you, just you. not yeah. yet on this. Uh, you're proud of that, eh? Yeah, I am. You know, given I had like next to no time to prepare and you had a draft list and everything, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about that. I wouldn't yeah, feel too yeah, good with should. one of my responses being Campbell. I still don't understand how that's, I've never met anybody hey, with hey, the first hey. name Campbell. Uh, I well, screenshotted you a list of like Campbell 10 Bach. hockey players. <laughs> but hey, but it's you know name. what happened here, right, Keith? You, you saw what happened. What did we say was going to happen while that's we were skill. recording? People, People are going to look People at the quality dumb. of the I players and vote. I had the best combination of names plus no you can't help it you certainly couldn't help it when you were responding to people egging on the idea instead when people were saying oh there's only one team that has a goalie and then nick jumps in oh no keith has a goalie instead of saying actually goalies don't matter it's just the quality of the name you you know what that makes you a sandbagging fuck oh leo is ever present on this fucking episode here leo's gonna be present in the patreon episode too because we have an email from our last patreon episode that we haven't uh, I haven't even looked at it yet I have to open it from Leo when we discussed Rasmus Ristolainen and his flyers uh, in the last <laughs> Patreon episode he, he sent an email and I don't know how long it is I've only read the first like I think I sent you guys the screenshot uh, of the preview that's all I've read I, I don't know how long yeah. this thing goes on so Amazing. I'm sure it's quite pointed I'm sure it's but very to wrap colorful. up you you guys can enjoy your sour grapes <laughs> and I will enjoy my nice little victory here um we're gonna wrap up on that uh while we're um i do have another question for you though nick have you spotted jennifer aniston yet in uh in your travels out at the market or anything like that in cape breton what's what's the deal are you i don't know if this is a rumor that anyone else is aware of that would be less i think this might be a a pretty niche cape breton thing Uh, for, for those who are unaware a rumor recently surfaced that Jennifer Aniston has bought a home on Cape Breton Island in the Inverness Marguerite area. Is it Cam? I think it, yeah, like I think it's Inverness area, um, which is nowhere close to you. So it's not like you would ever <laughs> have reason to cross paths with. It's much like like we talked about last time with the, the, the Memorial Cap. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not uh, not all just one kind of village. Um, well, what I will Coast. say is, if if you do want more info on Jennifer Aniston's potential new vacation home, you should check out the Town Heroes and their front man. 
Mike Ryan had a great interview with her. <laughs> They've also j- j- just put out a new album. So definitely go check them out. And yeah, check out his interview with Jennifer. It was great. We're going to play one from the town heroes here. And um, yeah, it, it, they make great just videos for uh, social media. They, if great you recall, guys. speaking of, you know, we just spent a bunch of time on all or nothing. We, we got very little Morgan Riley and no Tessa Virtue, which is a bummer um for me personally but the town heroes had that viral um scott and tessa video back during the olympics whatever year it was they got got pulled down from almost everybody uh, in canada knows who the town heroes are but they don't actually know who the town heroes because they saw that video (laughs) yeah they were um doing given the play-by-play for uh for the the ice dancing and um yeah they got pulled down by the olympic committee but um yeah they, they made waves again because i mean i don't think that the rumor was a big rumor until mike posted about it the, the front man like mike mike he didn't start it but he i feel like he he's been attributed to, as the starter of the rumor by some outlets because of uh the way that i feel like he fueled this so um it's all worked out well like i said they got a new album and uh uh, we're gonna play one from that one home. It's a concept album as well. Uh, they they love Cape Breton, as we do. Keith does too, oh, even yeah. though he's not. Uh, he, he's he's Keith would live here if he honorary could. resident. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna get to some uh, Patreon stuff. Uh, thank you for listening to Lamenting the Leafs. I was gonna start doing what I say Tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I'll do about it I can make it come better than you ever dreamed about Tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I'll do about it I can make it come, make it feel right Summer's going down, so it's keep me with it Then you turned around, I must have been here for a summer visit and I'll tell you what I'll do about it I can make it good better than you ever dreamed about Tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I'll do about it I can make it good, make it feel right I can make you feel like a queen Take a look around And there she is like fire Show me what you want I got it Tell me what you need I'll be it Tell me what you want I got it Tell me what you need I'll live Straight from my heart I missed you Even though I've only kissed you Straight from my heart I've known it Even though I've just been shown it Take out my switches
everything I need is falling into place I, the way it makes me feel everything I need is falling into place 